Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against for 2023, where we will continue to take a look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you once again, hoping you had a safe and restful festive season as we delve into some of the goings-on in the non-stop world of sport. I am joined by Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. G'day, Paul. G'day, everyone. And uh, John owes an apology. He's post-COVID now, happy to report, but I suspect he's still recovering from the opening days of the the SCG test, uh, much fun was had there. Now, coming up in the show, a look at the cricket broadcast deal that is currently uh, percolating away, and also how these processes seem to have less certain outcomes than they than they used to. Uh, in the shootout, we'll have a look at tennis and marvel at the progeny of some of our finest sports stars briefly, and also a uh, a recent attempt at uh, limiting free speech in one of the big sports in the world. Of course, we'll wrap it all up with red card, yellow card. Don't forget to use the hashtag RCYC if you see an instance of a sporting person doing something silly off the field of play that they probably wish we weren't going to talk about. On the socials, get us on Twitter at forandagainst underscore. And on Insta, for.and.against. But let's get into the show. Uh, the renewal of sports broadcast rights seem to come around sooner each time. But as we sit here in the middle of cricket season 2022-23, enjoying all the on-field action, the boardrooms of those interested in acquiring the rights to broadcast the cricketing action are at battle stations. Now, contestants had till mid-December to put in final bids, with the smart money saying that the deal to beat was Paramount's, uh, the Paramount being the owner of Channel 10, who uh, had tipped in one point, was suggested we're going to tip in 1.5 bill for the lot for all the cricket for seven years, uh, beginning in 2025. Um, which, Steve, is, is interesting and surprising for me because the current deal is worth around about 200 mil uh, a year. So, really, not much of an uptick at all. Well, I think the, the, the point here is it's a competition. And Channel 7, uh, as the incumbents, have basically been, well, uh, let's just say from Cricket Australia's point of view, a difficult partner to mm-hmm. do business with. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, almost before the ink was dry, there was friction. Yeah. And by the time they actually went to air, there was more friction. And then, of course, we had disrupted seasons and it appeared that both sides, you know, took, you know, commercial affront to the, the way things were going. Resulting in litigation. Absolutely. Well, what's interesting from Seven's point of view is they've, I don't know how to quite frame it, they've basically said, it, it's been reported that they've said that the litigation will stop if they retain the rights. I mean, wow. It's, it, it just reeks of some sort of, you know, really dysfunctional relationship if that's going to work. Pretty Machiavellian, isn't it? I think. I'm not exactly sure how Machiavelli operated, but I suspect it is. It's all about the bottom line. I think that's exactly how he operated. Interestingly, I don't think the deal, uh, the deal's not done though. Uh, Channel 9 is still in the mix. Mm. You know, in, <laughs> and I'm fascinated to know whether they're, um, whether they're actually pitching the, you know, what's left of the traditional broadcast team as a plus or a minus. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, they're not looking at giving up the tennis anytime soon. So it, it's a fascinating dynamic and how cricket plays this will be interesting because both seven and nine are going to say it's not just about the upfront money it's about promoting the sport yep exactly right exactly right but channel 10 in turn are saying hey look what we did to the bbl we kind of you know co-invented it with you we invented the broadcast 
we had different angles, we had different style of commentary, it was a, more of a pizzazz kind of thing, which naturally a 20-over game lends itself to intrinsically, but nonetheless, they, they have a reasonably good argument when they when they come to the table with that sort of discussion point. Well, and this is where Cricket Australia uh, are going to have to be really, really thoughtful. The way they've run the current season, uh, the last season or two with Seven and Fox, frankly, was a deal made for money. Mm. It wasn't done to promote the sport. They put a whole lot of cricket behind the paywall. I think we saw the effects of that when we had record low crowds for one-day matches, you know, just in the last couple of months. And a whole lot of I didn't realise the season was still going (laughs) at at the end of last year. You know, they've taken the money approach and it cost them. Mm, yep. Not the first sport to uh, to do that, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, the money uh, dangling in front of you an immediate as an immediate possibility is an attractive thing to many sports, as we've covered time and time again on the show. Look, I think, I think the, 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 the good thing about Paramount and 10 is, as you say, they will be motivated to be creative and really promote the sport. I actually think that this argument that 7 and 10 are, are pitching will work against them. Mm-hmm. over time right i think that people will come around and, and paramount's going to come and say we are going to promote it and make it work there is a cautionary tale to the paramount thing before i sort of sound too positive about it mm-hmm. and that is that the a league would argue and seven and ten will argue that the a league had a similar arrangement with paramount yes we talked about this in the last show didn't we we did and it hasn't paid off for the a league because they didn't get the subscribers so hopefully what cricket australia is doing is saying paramount we're with you. We will take your money, but it's up to you to drive the subscriptions and therefore create innovative content and really pitch the, the beauty of, of the sport of cricket. But we're not going to take that financial risk. That's on you. Hopefully that's what Cricket Australia learns rather than taking what they think is the safe option with the established players, both of whom have let them go in the last five years. Mm, mm. Yeah, I sort of can't help but return to the original comment I made there about the almost negligible uptick. If the 1.5 bill over across seven years is to be believed, that's near enough to the 200 mil that they're currently getting. I'm sort of intrigued as to why they haven't had a, a meaningful uptick. I mean, I, I think that another thing I'm finding interesting about broadcast deals that seems to be more apparent these days, I'm not sure if it was always the case, but is that the networks are deliberately playing off each other. So one will put in a bid in the hope slash expectation that the other network will will trump them so that the original network of in this scenario then has the it has less competition when they go after what they really want to go after. If that yeah. convoluted example is is making sense. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I think the question then is what do they want to go after? Are they trying to just up the price that they don't want so they can spend it on tennis? Or is this a grand plan to get the jewel of the AFL? And, you, and there's an element of risk in, in all that sort of um, brinkmanship, right? Because the cricket rights is the, the biggest show in town from a broadcast rights deal point of view, certainly for the foreseeable future. So nine holds NRL until 2027 uh, and also the tennis until 2029 and seven and Foxtel are locked up with the AFL until 2031. So cricket is uh, you know on the verge of signing up for a seven-year a seven deal. So that really pushes out the opportunity to own a, a piece of um, you know, prime sporting real estate for, for quite some time. It does. You're spot on. There's only so much to go around and maybe that's why. Well, I, I see your point. You know, why has it gone up so much? I think the, the argument is... Not so much. Why hasn't it gone up that much? Sorry, good point. Mm. Maybe I still view that as going up so much because I think Seven <laughs> has, 
and and nine for that matter have done their best to talk it down for the last few years yeah yeah, and there's some commentary around that, isn't there? That it hasn't been marketed particularly well. I think too the um the the fact that the big big bash ratings have come off is is not insignificant in this conversation. The opening match of the the current BBL season, uh, December 2022, was I think if I read if I recall correctly, was the poorest watched opening match of a BBL season. So there's a bit of a can't think of the expression, but they're too much of a good thing basically. And they've tried to expand the the, uh, the season. We've covered this before on the show. So um, I think there's a few factors uh, in the rights and not, not being a massive uptick, which is what we're used to, right? Every single sport, every single time they rene- renegotiated a deal, we'd also draw a breath at how astonishing the uptick was. So I don't know, is this the beginning of, you know, we've hit, hit the peak? I suspect not, but it's an interesting one. And the other thing, Steve, that interests me too is, is the um, FANG. So, you know, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix and Google still sitting on the sidelines. There's no discussion about these guys being anywhere near interested in even little bits and pieces now admittedly cricket hasn't segmented up the offering like perhaps the nfl does for example where uh i forget which one of those five has thursday night football i think or you know did have or dabbled in it or some such so maybe there's not the opportunity in australian sport because we tend to package the whole thing up as as one package and not sure yeah no no, no. I, I think it's a really good point i think at the moment the usual suspects, if you like, the Australian TV suspects, have a window while the while the fan companies test it all out on American sport. They're playing for big dollars mm. over in the states, buying you know different nights of the week of the NFL. Mm. Um, you know, Amazon, I think, have I want to say Thursday nights. Apple have done a big deal with Major League Soccer. Yep. I think that's been a little disappointing, but perhaps if they hold it for four years, that'll pay off for before the next World Cup. Well, that deal, it's, but, worth, it's worth just repeating that deal. So Apple is the broadcaster for all Major League Soccer games in the States. I mean, there's other channels that you'll eventually see it on, but that's the first time a sport of any significance has taken on a streaming service, inverted commas, one of the FANG companies, as its prime broadcast partner. So sorry, I just yeah. thought it was worth pointing that out. And look, but there is a lot of pressure for all of those fan companies to have a go at, at sport. It remains the biggest draw card of, of any on TV. So they will they will have a swing at it. They're just honestly, I think this this next year or two is about working out the business model. There's one other factor which I think took them off the table this year, and that was the markets when Haywire and tech in particular oh, yeah. got smashed. Mm. So there there wasn't the discretionary income. To, to throw at at sports. Uh, Netflix, I think there's been a lot of investors pining for Netflix to get into sport. Um, I think it makes some sense, but Netflix's business model is more or less on hold at the moment while they you know, are hoping that the markets level out. Mm. And look, I think the other thing too to remember is that certainly in the Australian market, from, from what I read from business people and who are much better placed to know these things than I, uh, is that sport is often a loss leader for a network. You know, they're happy to take a bit of a bath because they have the eyeballs to promote the bejesus out of their reality TV shows in late January kind of thing for the coming year. So, you know, perhaps a fang company isn't prepared to drop one and a half bill where they might actually lose a bit of money on that because perhaps they don't have the machine behind that, they don't have the content to promote behind that. I mean, I don't know, I'm sort of chucking that up as a half statement, half question because Netflix has a lot of content, I would presume, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're spot on. Uh, that is the case particularly for, for, for TV uh, where they're trying to sell ad rosters, if you like, for the whole year mm. based on the eyeballs that the sport will 
bring in and then they can advertise all that stuff and, and retain the, the viewers. Just one thing to bear in mind when you're talking about, you know, mobs like Apple and Amazon, they don't actually need to buy the rights. I, I keep an eye mm-hmm. out for, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Apple just might buy Disney and therefore ESPN, <laughs> you know, and ABC. You know, stuff like that. And I, I, let me just qualify that. This is not investment advice of any kind. <laughs> this is, is just talking about sports rights and sponsorships that these behemoths don't need to do the individual picking. They can literally like it so much they bought the company. Right. <laughs> On that beautiful note, let's leave uh, the cricket broadcasting deal behind, other than to say I'm sure we'll talk about the conclusion of that deal at some stage later in the year. On to the shootout now, where we cover a couple of topics in uh, shorter fashion. First up, tennis. Now, look, sometimes it does not pay to take the high moral ground. Indeed, it can cost you. Uh, The ATP, towards the end of 2022, levied a fine upon the LTA, the Lawn Tennis Association in England, for banning Russian and Belarusian players from the lead-up tournaments to Wimbledon in 2022. They didn't have the jurisdiction to make a, a call on the tournament itself, on Wimbledon itself. It's a, it's a standalone tournament. However, the, yeah, in the uh, couple of the lead-up tournaments, they uh, they banned those players from Russia and Bel- Bel- Belarus, got it in there eventually, as they did for Wimbledon. Now, that fine is not exactly trivial. It's $1.5 million US dollars. That is a hefty whack for what I thought was a fairly appropriate and universally applauded moral stand. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I'm looking for the story behind the story on this one because it, it makes no sense. It was clearly the right thing to do at the time. It was clearly consistent with the big tournament that followed it at Wimbledon. This is, you know, governance gone crazy in the details and suggesting that the Lawn Tennis Association overstepped. Um, couldn't disagree with it more. I couldn't disagree with the ATP yeah. more in this situation. I mean, they run the risk of sort of dirtying their own nose for taking that position. No, no one's, you know, it's it's highly commercial. It's not really considering the, the moral, I suppose, position that such a decision was was based upon, which, you know, most of certainly the Western world was, was in support of. So it's a bit of a tricky one. Interesting to see, Steve, that uh, Breakpoint, tennis's answer to Drive to Survive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is, uh, is in the offing. Is it coming? Is it being talked about? Is it already out? Am I missing something? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. One, one day we'll get you on the streaming services and you'll know it's coming out on January 13. Uh, so if you've downloaded this a bit late, you might actually already have watched it. Uh huh. So, look, I think what's interesting about this is just how successful Drive to Survive has been. Been. And and some of these things you'll never know, right? I, I think we, we draw on some stats to say Drive to Survive has created this. And one of the big stats has been the uptick in female viewership of the F1. Yep. Breakpoint and the, the ads that are out there promoting it have Nick Kyrgios kissing his girlfriend multiple times. At least I hope it's his girlfriend. I don't really know. Um, it was a time of filming. It, it is clearly trying to get behind the scenes you got a lot of, you know, good-looking athletes. You've got a lot of emotion. It, it does really feel like made-for-TV. So I think it's going to work. And having it come out just before the first major of the year, mm. I think it's a smart move by tennis. Mm, fair enough. All right, we'll see how that impacts on the viewership of tennis across 2023. Can I quickly just add one last oh, 
quick addition to the shootout. Such a beautiful little uh, outro there. Or you, I know. Are I you know, still talking tennis or you've moved on to the next topic? No, I, I want to I go back to oh. sport and sponsorship oh, yeah. and, and bring up a very sad topic for, for yourself, Paul. Oh, yeah. So the NRL have signed a new motor vehicle sponsor. Ah, because Holden no longer exists. Yes. And they've signed up Kia for good money and good on the NRL and good on Kia. But but I wanted to check on you, Paul. How, how do you feel? <laughs> Look, as a as you well know, Steve, a devoted Ford fan from a long, long time ago, perhaps a little less one-eyed about these things these days, a little part of me is quite happy to see Holden disappeared and gone. But the more modern version of Paul Roach perhaps realised that Ford and Holden needed to coalesce a bit to, to fight off the... The Japanese and more lately Korean onslaught, and uh, yeah, reality has has bitten, and obviously Ford and Holden and indeed Toyota no longer make cars in this country, and so yeah, things have shifted quite dramatically. So um, look, I, I suppose I'm fairly phlegmatic about it, Riles. It, it is what it is, to use a, a horrible expression, but mate, I'm I'm sure I'll survive it. But yeah, just Kia half time just does not have the same ring as as Holden half time. <laughs> well, as long as you're okay, Paul, then I'm okay. I'm okay. And uh, look, a couple of other things in the shootout. Just very quickly, multi-generational uh, sporting prowess. It's amazing how it moves from one generation to another. Now, it's a bit of a shame that Jono isn't here because he was the one that actually suggested this because Jono also always likes getting golf into the show, as, as regular listeners will know. And he was pointing out that uh, Tiger Woods and his son... Charlie. His, Charlie, there you go. I knew Jono had told me. Uh, we're at some tournament. Charlie's, what, 13 or something? And apparently can hit a yeah. mean, mean golf ball, Steve. He's got a mean swing. Charlie, honestly, if you browse YouTube for, for 10 minutes, you can have a whole lot of people analysing the perfection that is 13-year-old Charlie's swing. It's um, Look, I, th- I think what it's really getting at is the excitement around the idea that Tiger and Charlie might play in the same competition. So what they played in was a... It's effectively an exhibition, right? You can, it's a professional with a partner and they play and he brings his son. It's fantastic. It's coverage. This is the third year in a row they've played. Um, but, but it's exciting in that regard. And I think, I think where Simon wanted to go with this was one, just to, to have a, you know, just get. Golf on the, the show. show. Yep. Just to, just to annoy it you. Just, it just occurs to me. He's actually managed to do that, even though he's not on the show. <laughs> But he was also covering it because there's other father-son stuff going on. So LeBron James and his son Bronny uh, seem to be working the machinations of the draft system and the rest seem to be allegedly, I don't want to get caught with our American listeners, but such that LeBron might get to play with his son before he retires. There you go. Well, I mean, we've got a sport here that actually has a father-son rule. So it's uh, obviously AFL that they use that father-son thing to sort of subvert the draft occasionally so this whole phenomenon of uh of, of kids being pretty good at what their dad or indeed mum was good at is not exactly new but but it's doing it at the same time that's uh, the, the afl you've never seen a son play with his father no. i don't think Ooh, that's a good one did dustin fletcher have a 20 year old son at some stage at the very end of his career yeah okay maybe i've missed the point there so uh, having the parent and child playing at the same time actually lawn bowls has got a lot, lot of opportunity there <laughs> Yeah, I guess it does. I think you're on something there. Yeah. And finally on the shootout, uh, look, a little item of free speech that popped up, read its head just right at the end of uh, 2022, where Formula One said that um, basically their athletes could no longer say, you know, get political, get political is the, is the short answer. 
say something that they believed in. So they will now need, Formula One drivers that, are, that is, will now need prior written permission from the sport's governing body to make political statements from this, this, this year's season, 2023. Uh, they've updated their international sporting code. So, yeah, they've said uh, general making and displaying of political, religious and personal statements, uh, violation of the principle of neutrality promoted by the FIA, the ruling body of Formula One and motorsport, under its statutes. So the spokesman went on, said the update was in alignment with the political neutrality of sport as enshrined in the IOC Code of Ethics. And apparently the FIA was awarded full recognition status by the IOC in 2013. Now, Steve, for mine, you can't keep a good good man or indeed lady down, but it's mostly men in Formula One these days. If you've got someone like a Lewis Hamilton or a Sebastian Vettel who are towards the end of their career, who've got a zillion followers on every single social media platform and who who have a, have a view on things, you're not going to stop them from talking. You're not, I'm afraid. So a couple of points on that. One is I didn't know about the IOC thing. So yeah. you know, Formula One in the, the next Olympics or the one after that maybe? <laughs> I suspect not, but yeah. Oh, I don't know. Just 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 play this game out. Saudi, Saudi Arabia, get the rights to the Olympics for some like mm. top, top-level sports washing, mm. and they cap it off by having maybe as a demo sport, you know, national-based F1, that would be... That would be interesting. Yeah. They do, uh, secondly, they... secondly, I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, uh, control someone who's on a $25 million a year salary. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> good. Yeah, well, good point. Good luck. <laughs> Talk about waving a, uh, a red rag to a possibly a, a red bull. Just a reminder, folks, that form, this is the same Formula One telling their drivers not to not do anything political. The same Formula One that has, is paid by countries such as Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and Qatar for the sports washing privilege of hosting a Formula One Grand Prix. And now to red card, yellow card, where, uh, yeah, we like to poke fun at our sporting uh, sporting types, sporting players usually. Occasionally administrators slip in here, or even sports themselves, where they've done something a bit silly, a bit out of order, uh, things that perhaps in hindsight they would like to uh, retract. And it's the job of this segment to bring them back into the spotlight and so we can revel in the silliness that uh, someone from the world of sport has done. Don't forget, if you spot a red card, yellow card nomination, use the hashtag RCYC on our social media channels, which I'll try and remember at the end of the show to give you, to draw our attention to uh, to what you think would be a good nomination. However, for the time being... Steve-O, what have you got for us this show? So it's interesting, after the World Cup a few weeks ago, there were a few comments going around, certainly amongst our group of friends, about how Cameroon are particularly physical on the field. They are prone to tackles of, I mean, I mean they're prone to tackles in this World Cup, but they were renowned for, for being tough around the ground. I'm nominating one of their former star players, Samuel Eto'o. Mm-hmm. I think I always get that O apostrophe O yeah. a bit uh, unnatural. But he, unfortunately, was forced to apologise after footage of him. And I <laughs> didn't apologise before the footage came out. The footage came <laughs> out that. of him kneeing a man in the head Ooh. outside one of the uh, World Cup stadiums. His explanation for it was uh, I had a violent altercation with a person who was probably an Algerian supporter. Mm. That's about all we got. Really? Samuel, for, by rights of, uh, uh, look, I'm sure words were exchanged. I'm sure he had a uh, very good reason. Did you know, I see that this person that he had an altercation with might have been sort of a YouTube personality or had some sort of social media outlet and had a few followers and maybe was trying to 
to rile up Mr. Eto. Well, is that, is that yeah, the same one? It is the same one. Okay. Look, I, 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 I stopped short of saying that because I don't. He published a video on YouTube later. The the, the victim, let's go with the victim yep. of the attack, saying that why Samuel Eto reacted the way he did, and he said, "I asked him." if he gave the referee from a World Cup playoff uh, a bribe. He then hit me and destroyed both my camera and mic, mm. the YouTuber said. So, you know, I, I take the YouTube reporting of his own manufactured uh, headline <laughs> with a grain of salt. Yeah. In any case, Samuel shouldn't go around kneeing people in the head. No, it's not a good look. So it just a yellow then, mitigating circumstances? Just, just a yellow because we don't know the full full circumstances oh, yet. When's yeah. that ever stopped us, Stephen? <laughs> We're not the ABC anymore, mate. Now we generally like to steer clear of red card, yellow card nominations involving certain breaches of the law, in, including some DUI type stuff, alcohol stuff. However, I, I'm going to make myself an exception here. This is a little different because I think it's important to recognise how far AFLW has come in its short life. We now have a red card, yellow card nomination emanating from one of those athletes in AFLW. Now, I'd encourage the players to opt for things a little more amusing and harmless than this one, but let's just acknowledge a Richmond midfielder and forward Jess Hosking, who late last year was done for driving a jet ski while intoxicated during a holiday in Queensland. So interesting a bit of self-reporting there too. I first came across this story on afl.com.au, which I thought was good of them, uh, rather than trying to bury it. Or maybe they're looking for publicity. Maybe they're looking to get on red card, yellow card. And I've fallen hook, line and sinker for their little ploy. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I know I know. there's a lot of players out there wanting to emulate their sporting heroes, but come on. Yeah, don't do that one. But as I say, it's it's good to see an AFLW athlete making onto red card, yellow card. I think it's a first. I'm, I'm not certain it's a first, but I think it, it it's very likely to be the first. And I'm sure it won't be the last. Is that uh, as that league develops, becomes more professional, has more money, they got more time in the hands. Just you know, idle hands make the devil's work. Can't wait. Uh, so yellow card, definitely a yellow card. Yellow card, yeah, yeah. for a pretty poor misdemeanor there. So sorry to talk about it. Sorry to mention it, but I felt compelled. Uh, So with the end of red card, yellow card, that brings to the conclusion the first for and against for 2023. So uh, hopefully we'll have uh, Jono back on deck for the next one. And indeed, you still, Riley, don't go wandering away like you did uh, in December. Uh, It's been a little while since we've had a a three-hander, with the exception of Kev Sankster, who filled in beautifully for you, uh, by the way, in December. I hope you don't feel threatened. Look, I I do. I had a listen. Those shows were first class. (laughs) I I, I thought you needed me, and apparently you don't. I think you're saved by the fact the World Cup is not on anymore, certainly a strength of Kev's, although not exclusively so. But anyway, Steve, goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, everyone. And and I can't wait for the rest of 2023. There is so much going on. It's going to be fantastic to talk about all the stuff that goes on off the field of play. Completely agree. That sounded like an outro, like i got nothing left to do, but I do have to say, <laughs> that was very good, mate. You're doing me out of a job. Uh, you've seen the writing on the wall. Uh, so it is goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Uh, I, w- I did promise earlier to, to read out the socials, so on Twitter, at foreignagainst underscore, and on Insta, for dot and dot against. So, yes, once again, goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks for joining us on Foreign Against. We'll do it all again next time. Bye for now.